You're listening to She Bake, a podcast for and about women in Australian beekeeping. Find us on Instagram, she underscore beak, that's S-H-E underscore B-E-E-K, and on Facebook, She Beak. Hello, Kathy. G'day, Jo. How are you? Good, thanks. That's good. So we're here to introduce part two of the Queen Breeding Extravaganza. Hopefully you've all had a chance to listen uh, to part one where we spoke to Dr. Natalie Doran-Brown. If not, jump on and have a listen to that. Uh, And today we're going on a bit of a journey, uh, speaking to Corinne and uh, also Joe. So do you want to give us a bit of an introduction to Corinne first, Cathy? I'd love to. So I spoke with Corinne Jordan. Um, Corinne runs and operates the Bee Lady Apiaries and she told us about, well, I spoke with her about dealing with poisoning, poisoned beehives, but we also talked about queen bee breeding um, because Corinne is a queen bee producer and she's also um, with the Australian Queen Bee Breeders Association. And the purpose of that association is to enhance the Australian honeybee stocks so um, if you don't know about um, the Australian Queen, Queen Bee Breeders Association, you can have a look at aqbba.com. Um, and that association is actually a member of ARBIC um, with a specific focus on issues affecting honeybee health. So for queen bee breeders and people who buy and support queen bee breeders, um, check out the Australian Queen Bee Breeders Association. So we talked to Corinne about a little bit about queen bees and then I went out on a bit of a field trip out to NT Bees Australia, which is not in the Northern Territory anymore. They're in southeast Queensland in the scenic rim area and I spoke to Joanna Reid who started out as a hobbyist backyard beekeeper and then progressed to um, being a queen catcher and then progressed even further to becoming a queen bee breeder and artificial insemination. Um, uh, that's her job, is to produce the queens out at NTBs. So I had a wonderful tour with Jo and she walked me through her, her building yard where the cell builder colonies are kept and we had a look around the farm and we went into the artificial insemination lab and I learnt some really strange and wonderful things in there. And we also had a look at the woodworking shop where Joe was doing some innovative things and trying to reduce the amount of wastage in the process of, of growing queens. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. And and you also, luckily for us, took quite a few photos. So we're going to pop them up on the socials. So we'll pop them up uh, on the Facebook page she beak uh, facebook page so you can have a look at them uh but look we'll we'll get on with letting you have a listen to corinne have a bit of a chat first and then we'll we'll have a listen to joe as well looking forward to it thanks joe well i've got one mega colony down the back that's had four boxes on it for the last two months which seems ridiculous because that's going through winter but i opened them up first to see if I needed to take anything off them mm. and they're full. Everything's full, chock-a-block 
all the honey soup is a full, all the broods full. And she's got a double brood box and amazing brood. I took photos, couldn't help myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so bees never cease to amaze me. And I was expecting a new, newish young queen, but this one's about nearly three years old. This, is, this will be her third season. Goodness me, and she's going that strong. And she's going that strong. So really what amazing. You, what will you do with that colony? It's in my main breeding apiary, so uh, they should be supplying me with some good drones. Right. So do you take the drones deliberately in order to collect their their semen or do you let them wild pollinate the other queens in your apiary? How does it work? Um, I do both. So I've got probably about 50 to 60 mating nukes on this property and another 30 odd in the area Mm. and um, so I'd put out queen cells in those let them hatch and then the hopefully they will mate with the drones from this apiary because I've um, drone flooded the area basically Mm. there would probably be hmm, well I've got at least one frame of drone brood in each colony here there's about 70 potential drone mothers Mm-hmm. So it's about 2,000. So do some quick maths. 2,000 drones times 70. Goodness me. So, yeah, uh, the chances are that anything that's mating in this area is going to end up mating with my drones. And and that's, that's good because you know their genetic background? Yes, I do. I've got their full history from the day they're born to, well, not not the day they die, but, but most of them... Um, pretty much close to it so definitely the day they're born I've got all their records I've inseminated or or raised every single queen in my apiary from scratch and record all their details uh, the minute I put them in a hive and uh, they either have a numbered tag on them or they're marked with a colour so I know that if they supersede and they've got a naked thorax that they're not one I have raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, it, it's all. It all sounds like a lot of um, a, a lot, lot of work, a lot of maths, <laughs> a lot of uh, record keeping and and um, and tracing what's going on. And there's a lot of math involved in that, isn't there? Uh, I try and steer away from maths. It's not one of my favourite topics. Well, I guess but in yeah, the... I guess you do a lot of mental arithmetic. You're mm. counting forwards and backwards uh, from the day that the egg is laid forward to the day you graft and then to the day that uh, larva's going to hatch, pupa is going to hatch as a queen, and then how long it takes to get mated and at the same time you're estimating what your drone population is aged at and hoping that that'll all coincide nicely mm. so yeah there is a lot of mess a, a day in the a day in the mind of a queen breeder yeah well I've been doing it for about eight eight or nine years breeding queens now so you do get used to it uh if you use the secret is to stick to a 
schedule a routine a routine and and not break with the routine but that means that you basically uh can't have a life (laughs) (laughs) so there there are times when you have to plan to have a break from the routine yeah it's a lot easier if you stick to a routine and then you get into the habit of doing certain tasks on certain days and it just becomes automatic Corinne, what do you do if the weather is against you on one of those days when you need to do a certain task? Uh, you buy a gazebo or a tent or an umbrella or <laughs> or a strong rope and tie yourself to the umbrella. <laughs> you still have to do it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, come rain, hail and shine. In the eight years, I don't think there has been a weather event that has stopped me. I've managed somehow to do the job despite the weather. We do have pretty good weather in Queensland though. The heat does get to me in the middle of summer, I must admit, and I have had some pretty horrendous days where it's been pouring with rain and either I've been putting out sails and catching queens or had to graft. So, yeah. But you can always find a few minutes or a half an hour and you just dive in and out. Or when it's uh, not raining as heavy, if it's just a light drizzle or it's a bit, if, as long as it's coming straight down and not sideways, you kind of use your body to shield the hive. And yeah, the, having, the worst part about overcast weather is the lack of light because you do need good light to see eggs in the bottom of cells. So you're making your grafts and, and things out in the field? No, I, I bring them back into a um, – I've got like a portable building where I do all my grafting and insemination. Mm-hmm. So we briefly touched on that before when you asked about drones mating. Mm-hmm. I've also raised these hundreds of thousands of drones because I'm inseminating breeder queens during the season mm-hmm. um, probably we'll start inseminating in about two weeks and go right through till March so uh, we usually have drones available from the end of July through till about the end of April right so next up we're out to NTBs where Joe walked me through the farm um, we start out walking along, so you'll hear us talking about the trees and the snakes and the horses and the various hazards and risks associated with working out on the country. And then, um, yeah, we go for a bit of a tour through. So enjoy listening to, to Joe and I talking about all the processes involved. What are they? Do you vanilla get, beans. Do you get vanilla beans often? Do no, they? no, just, just, um, just snakes. Vanilla bean tree grows snakes. Oh, well, I'm absolutely paranoid of snakes and they love it all under here because I... It's one of the hazards of being a beekeeper up here in the country, oh, on an old orchard, whatever this property is. looks like an old orchard to me. Um, it was a horse property. Yeah. Sure. Horse, horse train. It's horses around here. So the horses don't interact with the beehives, do they? No, they pretty much stay away. They're but I've heard horses like a bit of pollen supplement. They, oh, 
Yes, they do. <laughs> so, um, so here we are. We've got a four-room donger with a nice little clean office and a bathroom in the corner. This is my inseminator. Oh, we can leave it open. Oh, okay. So this is um, where we do the inseminating. Yeah. Um, oh, so there's a collection of fishing rods in the corner too. Yeah, well. Just because you need fishing rods in your insemination room. <laughs> so I packed this up and it was all clean um, at, the end of, uh, at the end when we finished um, inseminating. So now we, it, it's, well, it's a bit dirty at the moment. Well, but it's, it's not 100% hygienically pure, but it's no. pretty clean. Well, so once we start, it, it pretty much is. So right, so what do you got? You've got a microscope and a kidney to, dish with some syringes and stuff in it yep so they all get um, put together so we have the tools here this is to open um, the Queen's abdomen so we pull her we, we hold the stinger with this one mm -hmm. and we open her up with that one and we so you literally grasp the stinger with this wow that's a grabber yep, yep. It's quite small, it's only a millimetre wide sort of thing, it's yeah. quite small. So we need to pull her stinger back and then open her up to see her vagina so we can then inseminate. So you've got your... Um... And that's what the, the needle part's for, I guess, the, the pipette to, to drop the sperm in. It's all very small, isn't it? Well, very, very small. Hence the microscope. Yes. Yeah. So I bring the drones back in here and I open them up in that window. Yep, roll them up there. Because the young boys don't, they don't go out for very long. They might fly around and the old boys just go, go home. Right, so the, the more mature drones have gone out, they're returning to the hive around the afternoon. Two, two and four in the afternoon. Yeah. Yep. So that I catch them. This is great. It's a, it's a stiff metal grill coiled around into a cone with a PVC pipe cap on either end of it. Fantastic mm -hmm. tool. Yep, lovely. So that can actually go into the hive as well. So those drones have to be fed as well mm -hmm. to keep that semen mm -hmm. production going. So you'll catch those drones in the afternoon. And if you don't have to rush off at five, you could start... Um, extracting the semen from from that afternoon if not that can go in the hive and they can be fed overnight and you can start in the morning so i put them on here i open them up and they fly up onto the window up onto the window and then i've got my glasses on i give them a bit of a roll around in my fingers um and collect their goodies and collect their then i collect their goodies and then once so i will do between two and four hundred wow drones when you do them, you, you need to be doing them, you need to do, you know, 20 queens or 30 queens if you can. So you need enough. Yeah, to make it viable and, and say half of them die. So we're hatching out virgins every week and then they're going into a queenless hive to be banked until they're ready to be, to be inseminated. So, and really they need to be, they need to be four days old before we can inseminate them. A virgin queen is banked for four days and then inseminated. Mm -hmm. Yep. And no older than a month. So that's 
So, and then she'll be banked once, so she, we gas them twice. So we'll gas them before she's inseminated, so she's asleep when she gets inseminated. Right. And then I'll have her here. Once she wakes up, then I pop her back into the bank. What do you use to put the queen to sleep oh, yeah. for the procedure? Because you, you don't want the queen to be awake while she's being inseminated. No. So you gas her to put her to sleep. That's right. Right. What's the gas? CO2. CO2 gas. Right. So it cools her down. The same as if you put her in the fridge or the freezer. Mm. Like that day I bought a queen from you and she'd been in the wine fridge. No. Where was that? At my place? Yeah. Oh, that's an incubator. Right. right. <laughs> but it just keeps them, keeps them quiet though, doesn't it? No, she was asleep. Oh, she was asleep. Yeah, remember? Oh, she was cold. Then, oh, and I, I had a heart inside. attack. Yeah. yeah, I went, oh my goodness, I've left... Uh, yes, I put I her inside my, inside my shirt and she warmed up. Okay, so when they're asleep, and especially with that gas, they don't seem to like the gas, the bees. Mm. So if you put her in and she's asleep, they sometimes um, eat, nibble her feet. Then she, you know, when she's released, then she's killed. So... We make sure that they're, she's alive. And just, if you remember when you go to the dentist and you... Mm, you got that numb, get, weird numb feeling. Get, so she might do the same type of thing. Mm. Uh, so we leave them here until they're awake and then she goes back. Then the next morning she's gassed again. So the gas seems to help the semen mix inside her um, and, and settle. So that, that second gassing... Helps the semen. There's a tiny weeny little number, 7766. Radio. So we have to glue that onto the back of her? Literally with glue. What kind of glue? <laughs> I have no idea what type of glue it is. And, and something that's three mil across, how do you glue that on a queen? <laughs> with a toothpick. That's the glue? With a little vial of glue and a special toothpick. Yeah. So you've got to pop that out. Yeah. So it is quite in intricate and it, it takes is. a long time. It's taken me, and I still stuff up. Hard on the eyes? Uh, so I wear glasses. So I let them fly here so they can poop. So that poop cannot go anywhere near there, of course. And I'm constantly washing my hands from this station to that station. Um, so everything's got to stay with the drones on this, this way. And, and they wee, of course, so they, that, that's an absolute mess by the end of it. Mm. And I absolutely stink as well. And there's a rubbish bin there, especially for when I've done my deed, I chuck them all in there. I can get them going and squish them without my glasses, but then from, my, from here to there I put my glasses on, and then from my glasses to the microscope I take my glasses off and look through the microscope. Gosh. And, of course, every year your eyes get worse. You've got to go and get your script already done. So I get a special script for grafting glasses. I have special glasses. So instead of your reading glasses here, I have a bit closer up. And you don't you don't need your your special reading you don't need your special grafting glasses out in the apiary. No, no. Don't don't get me wrong. It won't be very far off that I'll have to wear my glasses while when I'm you're catching. catching yeah. Oh, it'll be a pain yeah. in there. But um, you do need those so you can see that the that larvae. Okay. This is the sound of the blowtorch lighting up the smoker. Your smoker's looking a bit beat up, Joe. It is. I think I ran over it. <laughs> oh, 
And we've got lid. We've got four hives on a stand here in the yard. So these four are builders. Uh, these two are builders. Yeah. And how I want to set it up once I get all my cell builders back is um, I'll have one one builder on one pallet. So these will be the supports. Yes. Because I want as much brood. And taking two frames of brood out of a hive every week... Slows them right down, doesn't it? Slows them right down. So yeah. having three supports yeah. is perfect. Yeah. But you, you want... You know, you, you want that brood um, or open honey. Pollen. So I've had this open already. So here's a builder. One frame's been taken out. We've got a big pollen paddy there to eat. Yep, they're happy girls. They're super calm. Yes, well, like, well, you know, they're busy. I've already taken a frame of bees out and put it into another hive. Um, they just are. They're just... You know, they, they're used to me being in here yeah. every week. So um, it's, a, it's a weekly, like, the, the routine is a week-by-week, day-by-day routine. You do I, I have a routine, yep, every week. So today's Monday. What's the job on a Monday? I, I'll build I'll build today. So normally I build 20 hives, and I will graft 45 eggs into each hive. That's 900 queens. And, of course, you're not going to get 900. What's the success rate, do you reckon? Uh, depends on the time of the year and what's going on. You can have... Acceptable for me is 10%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now, if you don't have enough bees in your hives, um, you just get small cells. And, really, it's not worth the time that it takes to build a hive and to graft into it, un unless they're strong. You've got to have them strong. Do you think this one's strong enough? Uh, no. No, it needs um, three frames of brood in here, which I will steal from another hive. So you basically want every single frame covered with bees. We were just talking about swarms, and I picked up two swarms on Saturday. Oh. And talking to new beekeepers who maybe don't know what they're looking at or don't realise their hives are strong and they're full and they're congested and they're... And then swarms happen, especially when it's about to rain like it did on Saturday. Yes, yes. So when you open your hive, and especially now is the time because they've had a fairly calm winter... Uh, they're slowly breeding, so the population is, is getting there. And normally, you'll have a single because it's winter. Mm. Um, if you've got a double, well, that's, that's not a problem at all. Triple, well, you're laughing then because three, three boxes of bees is fantastic. So when you go into the brood box, you want to be looking at every frame. And these don't have cell cups because generally um, I will only put catch brood in here. But down the bottom of the frame, you'll have cell, green cell cells. Uh, you can knock those down, but the thing is they're already in swarm mode. So you need to either split them, take that out, and I don't, I don't go for walkaway splits. Grab a queen from whoever's got them at the time. 
Um, but if you see, see swarm cells at the bottom of your of your frames, it is a bit late. It's too late, isn't it? It's too late, yeah. so you need to be splitting them straight away. How long have you been making queen bees, Joe? This is my fifth year. Five years, eh? Yeah. How'd you get started doing this then? So, as a member of Gold Coast Amateur Bee Society, I went to one of the open days mm -hmm. and Dad was doing the honey. What was he doing? Um, he was a judge. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to one of the other judges. He was a doctor, English fellow. And I said, oh, I've got all these hives, you know. I wasn't working then. I was still a stay-at-home mum. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I don't think I'd like to get into queen rearing. So yeah, you need you need the you need the donors, the support colonies to donate the brood throughout the process. You need the good quality queen, the breeder queens, and they're not cheap to come by, are they? No, they're about thousand dollars. So how many do you have, Joe? At the moment, I've only got six. Yep. But we'll start again at Christmas time. Do they have special names or numbers? Numbers. We Well, um, so we just put discs on them. Mm. Um, and the colour is from, for the year. So we'll be doing blue discs. Now I'm putting that second one in because they're not even on there yet. Mm -hmm. Really shouldn't have taken any brood out of that. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's not strong enough. Really. But I'm desperate. But not only do you need this, but you need those nukes as well. So I'm grafting 900, so I have to have 900 nukes ready to go. Yeah. Where are they? Oh, they're down. Well, I don't have them at the moment. I've got 100, three ways. So I've got 300 hives. Mm. They're down at Canola, mm. building up. They'll come back when we're ready to go. Um, and I've also got to make splits. So I've got to fill all those boxes to have enough... For 900 cells. To receive the cells. Mm. Wow. So each yard is 120 hives times three. So you've got 360 queens in one... One apiary. One apiary. Mm. You also need drones for that apiary. So you'd have to have some other hives around that to supply drones. That's correct. So, um, you know, you, you need good, strong doubles as well. So if you are relying on someone else's drones... Mm. Just whatever's out in the community. Well, you can't do that. No. Because they can't. They could be some feral trash from the nightclub mm. boys. They could be from there. <laughs> you know, and you don't want. You don't want any old randos. No. So we we select those hives, those support hives. So we've got to have those in every apiary, every site that I have. My, my nukes mm. and say you've got 360 nukes so say 20% doesn't come back mm. they get lost or the wind blows them away or they get killed by a raindrop or you know it, nature is you're working with nature and you've got to do the best you can so we need queen breeders well it certainly seems that way at the moment there's um, a lot of demand and not an awful lot of supply at the moment so when you've got a really strong hive, I put a, a frame of foundation in because when I put, so this is your hanger, 
really strong. They'll just fill that hole with comb. Mm. And you really don't want that because it's sticky and... When so you put that next to a frame of foundation? Uh, not next to. So that hanger will go in there yeah. when I've grafted. So you put it there so it keeps them busy. Right, but you've still got the population to work on that on, in that graft there. But they don't have that inclination to build up the whole hangar with, with comb. Yeah, so they'll, they'll build work that on instead. that one, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's, that is really good. But sometimes, it, and it depends on the type of time of year as well. But last week when I pulled the cells out, they were, oh, they were messy. So yeah. once the cup is full of royal jelly and you don't need it right now, you can freeze that and put it back in the hanger later on. Yeah. Very clever. Or you can use that to put on your wrinkles and do whatever you want to do with royal jelly. Tastes good, you can eat it. Yeah, it's horrible stuff. No, I think it tastes like, like something delicious. So it's just a process of keeping track of what, what you've done, in the, what you've done on, the, on the palette and what you've got to do today and what you've got to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every day is and um, public holidays come and it's like no. don't you just have the day off? It's like no, I can't. I'm sorry. You know, they're used to it now. Um, but let's see, this this is one that I built. So I had um, I had a couple of cell builders that I hadn't uh, used, so and they made their own queen. Mm. So um, th this palette is raised queens. Squish them later on, but I'm using that as a support. I'm using that, that her brood to support my my nukes. Mm. So she's not quite full yet, but there's a queen in there. She's a nice looking queen too. A uh, uh, self-made, but she's not a she's not a grafted queen. No, so she'll get squished soon enough. She's not one for this life. No. <laughs> Even though she comes from our stock, I still don't want her. Yeah. yeah. And why and why is that? That's because they um they get less and less true to their genetics, right? Basically, yeah. So we want to stay we want the best at all times. Um you'll go out and you'll catch and sometimes you will get that inferior queen where she's a bit small or she's ugly. Like there's some with black bands on them. See, I don't like. So they, she just gets squished. So we do have a breeder that throws off that black bum, and I, I, I only graft out of her when I'm desperate. The the queens just lay up. They they'll lay the whole frame up. with fantastic. But if they've got too much of that black in them, uh, they get the squish. If they're too small, they get the squish. But if they will have that whole frame, well, I might make an exception. She's a good so, layer. Okay, so I catch, I'll have, I don't, but I have three three um, loads. So I catch one load one week, next load the week after that, and the next one after that. So they have three weeks, 21 days, to, to come back and lay up. So you can see uh, what they're like. So if you can see that, um, okay, 21 days, she's got four eggs there squish hmm. 
so you can you can see that you can see whether they're drone layers as well mm -hmm. the other day we had um, the spermatheca on on the Facebook page so to to do that you have to kill your queen but you pull the abdomen have you do you know how to do that yeah I've seen it done yeah so you pull the abdomen off and the spermatheca is actually in a little sack in a in a in a creamy coloured sack so you carefully have to wipe that off. You roll it between your thumb and forefinger. Very, very gently. And then that will come off. You'll, it's like a sleeve. Um, and then you'll either get your clear ball or your creamy ball. And you can tell whether she's been fertilised. Mm, that's mm. right. But but then also she may, it might be creamy, but she may have only, um, so at this time of the year the, the, the quality of the sperm is not there yet. Mm -hmm. um, so she she will have to successfully mate with more drones now than later on in the season. And if she hasn't mated with enough of those drones, the hive knows. You know, she, that, it'll take probably a week after she's come back and, and then they'll try and supersede her. Mm. They're pretty amazing, these bees. So I'm also making, because of because we use these plastic cell cups, go through these like anything during the season. Can um, you re, do you get a chance to reuse them? No, it's, it's not worth the time to wash them. We used to. Um, so that's a one-use item? Pretty much. Yeah, right. You are making, with wax, specialty little wax grafting cups. Wow, that's awesome. With this this stick that's got the dowels in it. Well actually it's that one there. Dad made it for me. Yeah yeah. Right, so there's a there's a little piece with the dowel which are about five or six mil across. And then you dip that in your wax and mm -hmm. you've got little wax grafting cups so there's no waste. That's, that's amazing Joe. We're, we're trying but it's gorgeous. Uh, I have it. It's very, it's, it's very sensitive. Time isn't it? Into, and and do the do they take to the little wax cups well? Yeah, I imagine they, they probably they, would. Well, don't forget that this is what they make. That's their own wax. You know, it's, it's the play cups. They like it better than plastic. Mm, uh, I don't know. Uh, hmm. But there's no waste. But there's no waste. I, I, a thousand a week. Mm. Mm. I'll, and I'll throw those away. They're Jeez. like Legos, especially when they're on the floor and you oh, don't have God. shoes on. Oh, Legos, yeah, God. I don't that's... have boys, so I don't have that, but I do have stool. Bloody, yeah. Story that's back. genius, Joe. Kathy, that was awesome. That was really interesting listening to you walking through with Joe. So just a reminder, we'll have those photos up on the Facebook page for you to have a look at. Uh, and look, throw us some comments and, and let us know what you think and if you've got any topics that you're interested in hearing about uh, further or anything like that, we're, we'd love to hear from you. So what have we got coming up next, Cathy? Well, next we're going to talk about um, some of the risks, you know, some of the, the darker side and the, the difficult parts of being a, a beekeeper and especially being a female beekeeper and working outdoors and often working in your own and in, in environments that usually have... Um, pests and predators and other problems you know misogynists so <laughs> we're going to talk about snakes and wasps and 
fire and other workplace health and safety risks. Yeah, fantastic. Poisoning and, uh, yeah, other things that you may or may not come across, but good to have a talk about them and and know about those risks and um, talk a little bit about other people and how they've dealt with those risks. It should be a learning experience, I think, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we hope you've enjoyed listening to our two-part extravaganza. And again, drop us a comment. Let us know, you know, what you're thinking. And if you've got any ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, Kathy. See you, Joe. You've been listening to SheBeak, a podcast for and about women in Australian beekeeping. Find us on Instagram, that's she underscore beak, S-H-E underscore B-E-E-K, and on Facebook, SheBeak. Thanks for listening.